away last week in Manjimup visiting my sister, whom some of you know, doing real farming <laughs> on the, out on the land. I can tell you about that later, but <laughs> let's rather get to God's Word. Um, we've been continuing in our series on the, through the book of 1 John, and uh, we've just slowed down a little bit. John, uh, in this section, is encouraging the believers to love one another. And Mark started this little, we're doing a little slowdown, sort of verse by verse. And we're going to look at the love of God for the next number of weeks. John sort of re, uh, reaffirms his theme of love at this point. We're in chapter 3. If you, if you have a Bible, you can turn in chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 to verse 12 or just Google it on your phone if you don't have a Bible and you should be able to find it. It's not very long, it's one verse, so you might even be able to memorize it. 1 John 3 in verse 11, Mark preached on last week, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that you should love one another. Love one another. Verse 12, and that's the, is the text for this morning, it says, you should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Seems the opposite of love, right? And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. A very happy text this morning. <laughs> why did he do it? Because he was envious of his brother and he murdered him. And so um, John starts off here by encouraging him to love each other. But then he says, we should not be like Cain. The first thing we notice is that he includes everyone when he says we. It's not just some few naughty people. It's everyone. He says we. He's talking to the church who actually know God, already know God. And he says we should not be like Cain, implying that we can go the way of Cain, implying that we can head in that direction. And so he addresses all of us. And so we're all sort of lumped into this one category of someone who may be able to follow in Cain's footsteps. We should not be like Cain. Let's pray and ask God to help us this morning as we try and see him and not go in the way of Cain. Father, we thank you that you are revealing yourself to us today. Father, we thank you, Almighty God, that the love which you offer to us exceeds the furthest expression of our human longing. That your love is greater than the human heart. And that you direct, would direct each one of us, God, towards that love. Help us to direct our thought and our very lives and all our efforts so that the limits of our failings and faults, God, may not obscure the vision of your glory and love. Would you keep us in your peace, God, and keep us in all that you've promised and keep us in your love. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Amen. We should not be like Cain. And so wondering about the story of Cain, it appears in Genesis uh, chapter 3. And I might just turn there. If you have been in 1 John, you hopefully have memorized the verse by now. <laughs> Don't be like Cain. If you can say that, you've got it. But Genesis 3 tells us the story of Cain. And so I want to look for a moment at this story of Cain and see what we might learn. I'm going to get my glasses out because that's required. At this point, yeah. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3, the fall, the fall of man. <laughs> From verse 3, actually, no, sorry, I'm in the wrong place. Genesis chapter 4, you're in the wrong, wrong Bible verse, Genesis chapter 4, 
from verse 3 is the story of Cain. And as you know, Adam and Eve were put in the garden and then they blew it, right? They ate of the fruit which God said not to. And so sin enters the world and they eat the fruit and, and they separate it from God. And then they start having kids and they have Cain and Abel, two boys. And kind of sin is brand new in the world, right? They've just started out in the world and then Cain and Abel start to interact and jealousy arises and this is, I guess, a, a new experience for them. And Cain ends up killing Abel because he gets so jealous. His offering's not accepted and he sort of heads out into the field one day and he starts to chat to his brother but ends up killing him. Now, it's the first murder. So things are going downhill fast, right? We've gone from hiding from God to murder in just a couple of chapters. And Cain kills Abel and God appears to him and says, Cain, uh, where is your brother Abel? And of course, this is a very poignant question because he's dead and buried somewhere. Or maybe not even buried. You know that the first question that God came to Adam and Eve was, was, where are you? God said to Adam, just in the previous chapter, where are you? Adam and Eve had sinned, and he said, where are you? And Adam said, oh, we're hiding, something happened. And God's, God, God said, how did you know? Have you eaten of the fruit? I told you not to. And so this sin is creeping in. It's crept in. They've rejected God, Adam and Eve, but now it's kind of multiplying and it's gone to headed down to murder because Cain is now asked, not only where are you, but where is your brother? The one whom you ought not to have killed, you ought to love. And Cain has killed Abel. In the course of time, I'm reading from verse 3 of chapter 4, Cain brought to the Lord an offering from the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flocks. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering. But for Cain's offering, the Lord had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. He sulked. He had a long face. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Other translations say there, it desires you. The sin desires you. It says, if you uh, are not careful, the sin is, is lurking. It's got the sense of lurking. It's waiting for you. It wants you. It wants to rule you. It wants to be your master. This is the nature of sin. So Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Abel, where is, uh, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you, are, now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today from the, away from the ground and from your face, and I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But then the Lord said, Not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord marked Cain, lest anyone who found him attacked him. And Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Sin is crouching at your door and wants you. The result of Cain's sin, he says, I became a fugitive. 
sin separates us from our brothers and from those closest to us. It is always the result of sin that we become fugitives from God and from each other. In fact, it says that Cain was sent out from the presence of the Lord. Do not be like Cain, John says to us. The result of the fall was sin entered the human heart and the desire to be first, the desire to be self-centered began to take hold. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's the same problem that every one of us have. We all have this built-in desire to be first, to be selfish. We don't say it like that, but we always want to put ourselves first. It starts very young. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Do you know what a clothesline falcon is? A falcon is an unexpected object hitting your head. (laughs) A clothesline is when you, in a game of rugby or footy or something, someone tackles you in the neck region, but you didn't see it coming, and you, it's like running into a clothesline, and your feet go up like that. So a clothesline falcon is a combination of these two, where an unexpected object hits you in the throat, and you go, now I see this probably weekly. I have four children, and if you say something like, let's go and get an ice cream, everyone to the car, it causes an immediate stampede of rushing of, uh, towards the car, and you'll notice as one child overtakes another child, there's an immediate reaction. It's just from the civil clothesline falcon. <laughs> Boo! One child goes down and someone else arrived first at the car. Uh, that's what a clothesline falcon is. Now, no one taught. I didn't teach them this. I'm not sure. Anna is at home by herself. She may have taught them, but I'm not sure. This is what happens. It's just in the nature. They're going to get to the car, and then we're going to drive to the ice cream shop. It's, if you get there last, you still get an ice cream. <laughs> but something in the nature just will not, doesn't want someone to overtake me. It's just, woo, I'm going to absolutely stop anyone. Now, as, as you become an adult, you sort of learn to hide that a little bit. I'm not so much doing as many clothesline falcons as when I was four. You, you just pretend that you don't, wanna, you, don't, you don't want to be first, and you kind of, as when no one's looking, you send out a falcon. You know? <laughs> And that's how it is. It's within each one of us. It starts when we're very young, and if we're honest, it's still there. <laughs> we also want to worship God on our own terms. You know, Cain was bummed out when God didn't accept his offering. He's like, I want to do my thing. I want to be who I am. And God said, your offering's no good. And he's like, sort of, well, who are you? God? <laughs> Not only do we want to be first, but we want to do things on our own terms. And this is, of course, Cain's approach. What do you mean my offering is not acceptable? So often we decide how we think God ought to be worshipped. And if God says something else, we get upset. We get a long face. God said, why the long face, Cain? Cain began to sulk. And slowly in his heart, it brewed up into murder. Now, fortunately, unfortunately for Cain, there was no law He was no experience with this kind of thing. He was the first guy to commit murder. Fortunately, in our day, we have a bit of self-preservation. It's still selfish, really, because we know if we commit murder, we're probably going to go to jail, and that's kind of not benefiting me anymore. And so we kind of put the pause on that, just because ultimately it's what, what we call common grace. God's still good to us, but it's actually a little bit selfish, it's, it's good to everyone that we don't just go around committing murder because Cain showed us that you end up isolating yourself. But even now, there's punishment for that, so we don't do it. 
But to be honest, maybe if we could get away with it, <laughs> maybe if there were no consequences, we'd do it. And I'm not just talking about murder, I'm talking about just in general. You know? If we could clothesline someone else, we'd probably take it, as long as no one was watching. <laughs> and this is, what this is what the description is happening that John's talking about. He says, don't be like Cain. I hope you're getting a little picture of what Cain was like and what we are like. The next line of, of one, 1 John chapter 3, verse 12 says, Don't be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Cain murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil. He was of the evil one, but his brothers were righteous. Envy springs up in the heart that desires selfishness and desires its own ways. And so if this is the way says of Cain that he was in the way of the evil one. He went the way of the devil, of, the, of sin. And we might ask ourselves, well, what is the way of God? Which way does God go? If we don't want to go in the way of Cain, which way might we want to go? And uh, I guess you guessed it. We want to go in God's way is the way of love, which is the theme of this portion of the scripture. We want to go in the love of God. Now, that's very difficult to do, and we want to sort of scratch around a bit and talk about this this morning. God is love, the Bible says, first of all, or you should know. You know that God's love is one of the supreme uh, aspects of his very nature, the supreme part of God. You know, the Bible describes God in the Psalms. It says, the Lord is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger, but is abounding in steadfast love. He is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. He is abounding in love. God is abounding in love, but he is slow to anger. His love abounds, his anger is slow. God is love, it is part of his very nature. I wonder if you've ever thought, is God anger? Well, no, he's not. God was never angry before the fall. He had nothing to be angry at. He was love before the fall. His love is abounding. His mercies are rich. Ephesians 2 says, but God being rich in mercy. He's never be called rich in anger. He's called rich in mercy. Rich in mercy because of his great love. His love is described as great. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. And he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show what? The immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness which are towards us in Christ Jesus. God's love is one of the central aspects, or probably the supreme, if you can put it like that. I'm nervous to say God is more something than something else. But the Bible describes his love as great, his mercies as rich. His anger is slow, describes his anger as slow. And in fact, his anger did not exist before the fall. He had nothing to be angry at. And even his anger is because he loves us. When God gets angry, it's because... He wants us to not perish. That's why he's angry. He's angry towards the, the sin and the brokenness. His love produces his anger. And the reason for his anger is because he wants to redeem us. He wants us to not suffer, to not, to not perish. Only the love of God can cause us not to perish. In all other things, we will perish. The love of God pre-exists the fall. 
Also, farming pre-exists the fall, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> Read your Bible. Genesis 1.25 said God created the heavens and the earth. He created the beasts of the field, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the livestock. Before the fall, the livestock. <laughs> then he said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, rule the earth, subdue it, tend to the garden. So God gave these wonderful great. In his love, he gave Adam and Eve the, the production and the farming of the Garden of Eden and the livestock. Then the fall happened. So just get biblical and get farming, all right? <laughs> livestock is before. Genesis 1.25, read it, all right. <laughs> Mark says he'd like a cow for Christmas. How do we, but how do we, God's love is great, but how do we live like this? How do we go in this way? Cain's obviously the wrong way to go. It ends up, you know, brutally. Fortunately, we don't, we don't go to the full extent of it, but the effect is the same. Sin is crippling on us. It slowly isolates us from God and from each other. How do we go in the way of love? Is there not some examples we can see? And the scriptures do have some examples. After Cain messed up, people tried to do a little better. And we have a few of them, you know, uh, Enoch later on walked with God and he did okay. Eventually God said, you're doing such a good job, I'll just bring you home with me. Noah, it says, walked with God. There were others who walked in the way of God, but Noah also blew it at certain points. Abraham walked with God. Then at some point he lied about his wife being his sister. <laughs> David said, walked with God. But then he also committed murder, went back to the way of Cain, committed adultery, killed her hus the husband of the woman he had committed adultery with. So we see many walking with God, but many equally not. And things get slowly worse and worse with Israel, God's people who he's trying to walk with. They get w it gets worse and worse. In fact, it gets more and more desperate. Um, even though they've multiplied, God's promised that to multiply them, and they do, they multiply, they keep sinning and and following other gods, they actually get worse and worse, despite a few um, things where God breaks in. Again, it's God who's actually rescuing them. God rescues David. The Spirit of God comes upon David. Abraham as well. God is the one who rescues Abraham, who reaches out. And God's always at work, but somehow it's never enough. Something is broken. Something is wrong. It gets worse and worse. Perhaps in your own life, things have gotten worse and worse. If you continue... You've tried to be better, but things have gotten worse. Slowly, you find things are breaking down. How do we walk in the love of God? I want you to know that God, God made a great promise. He promised to fix all of this. You keep promising, despite in the midst of the, the continued brokenness of Israel, the continued things were going from bad to worse, God kept promising them. And I want to read you a few of these promises. Jeremiah 31 God said to them, I will make a new covenant that I will, uh, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days. I will put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will each one teach his neighbor or his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. God promised that he would wipe out sin. 
that he would not remember our sins against us. Ezekiel says, in Ezekiel 36, it says, I will sprinkle you with clean, clean water. I will make you clean. You shall be clean. From all of your uncleanness and from your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from you and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statues. I will cause you to walk in my way, not in the way of Cain. Joel chapter 2, and it shall come to pass that afterwards, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. In those days, it will come to pass that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be changed. God was promising to do it. And yet Israel was getting worse and worse. Isaiah chapter 10, in that day, Isaiah says, a remnant of Israel, the survivors from this house, from these people, will be people who know, uh, sorry, I will, sorry, let me read it again. In that day, a remnant of Israel, the survivors of the house of Jacob, will no more lean on him who has struck them, but they will lean on the Lord. God said he had promised that there will one day be a remnant who will trust in God, who will lean upon the Lord. Things got so bad that that remnant got down to one person. It was the person of Jesus. God actually knew that in order to rescue the situation, he would have to come in the person of Jesus. The rescue plan, the redemption, the turnaround, the remnant got so small, it came down to one. Out of the stump of Jesse, the person of Jesus. When it seemed nothing could be done, Jesus appeared. Jesus was the one who leaned upon God completely, as we never did, we never could. In Jesus, we have the brother who was perfectly righteous. Cain was jealous of his brother's righteous acts. Jesus was perfectly righteous and gives us his righteousness. What an incredible brother he is. He was the righteous brother. He acted righteously, even though we have acted evilly. He acted in love, not envy. And he did not put himself first, but gave himself for us. He did not murder. In fact, Jesus was murdered for us, his brothers and sisters. Instead of saying, am I my brother's keeper? He redeems us and watches over us. He keeps us. Jesus rescued us and he turned around the fall. The fall gave each of us a broken heart, a broken inside, which we started and could never get away from the way of Cain, no matter how hard we tried. And many did. Abraham tried. David tried. Kept failing. God said, one day I will give a new heart. I'll make a way where this is possible. And it came down to one. Jesus, who offers us his righteousness to cover our sin. Jesus was not like Cain. He never enacted the fall. He reversed it. Cain enacted the sin that had come into the world. He just kept acting on it, as we all have. Jesus came to reverse the fall. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. 
for God so loved the world. What is the opposite of the way of Cain? It's the way of love, which God richly demonstrated and showed us in giving us his son. God so loved the world that he gave us his son. You can never go in the way of God unless you are born again. Unless you have a new heart, which God was promising. Unless you are born again. Unless you are made anew. Unless the Spirit of God is poured out upon you and, gives, and does a work in you that makes a new heart, you cannot go in the way of God. You might do it a little bit to preserve yourself. But to enact the love of God and display the love of God as Jesus did requires a new heart. Requires believing on the Lord Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have life, will be made new, will have a new heart. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, Hebrews 12 says, and that his sprinkled blood speaks the better word than the blood of Abel. His blood speaks a better word. What does that mean? Abel's blood, it says in Genesis, was crying out to God, saying, look what's happened, what's done, I've been wronged, avenge me, God. Jesus spread his blood on the cross, and his blood cries out, Father, forgive them. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. His blood cries out the rich, great love and mercy of God. The love of God that covers sin. This is the love displayed for us in Jesus. You know, each of us, in a sense, our own deeds cry out against us. We have a similar situation to Cain. Uh, whatever, we've, whatever we may have done to others and, and in fact to God cries out against us and if it were not for the blood of Jesus there would be no escape our blood would cry judgment against us but Jesus' blood offers us forgiveness Jesus' blood undoes the fall it's the beginning of the reversal and a return back to, it, to how it should be back to the love of God and only in the cross is the fall undone. I want to read another text as I bring this towards the finish and try to uh, make some application. I haven't done a lot of application this morning, but I hope you've seen the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of the cross, which turns away the path we're on. You, honestly, you cannot turn away without the cross from the way of Cain. Do not be like Cain. Well, what ought we to be like? Look to the cross. Romans chapter 5, Paul describes it like this. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus. We are brought into peace. Through him, we have obtained access into this grace, by faith, into this grace in which we stand. We now stand in the great grace and the great rich mercies of God is where we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Our hope is certain. We rejoice that we know God is making all things new. And when he returns, he's going to put it all back together perfectly. 
This is our great hope. We stand in such a great grace and our hope is in God. Not only that, but we rejoice through our sufferings because we know they produce endurance and produce character and they produce hope. And this hope, Romans says, does not disappoint us. Our hope, we are never put to shame in this hope of Jesus because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The NRV says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When we receive such a great salvation, such a great love, the love of God is poured out by the Holy Spirit into our hearts. It is shed abroad. It overflows. It is poured out upon us. I wonder if you've experienced the pouring out of the love of God in your heart. Have you experienced knowing the love, this love, the love of Christ in the cross for you, the love which undoes the fall, the great love of God. It is shed abroad in our hearts. It requires God to do something in us. It can't be done by ourselves. Cain couldn't do it. He certainly didn't do it. Many tried after him. Only as God said he would, he would pour out his Holy Spirit, Joel chapter 2, that anyone who calls would be saved, that he would make a new heart, Ezekiel chapter 36, Romans chapter 5. We have received such a great love which is now shed abroad in our hearts. This great love undoes the fall. This great love is shed abroad in our own hearts. I wonder this morning, perhaps you've never known the great love of God. I invite you to call out to God, to ask Him. Joel chapter 2, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who calls on the name of the Lord. This morning, if you've never known that, I would encourage you. There's nothing I can do. I can't pray even a prayer with you. You have to encounter God. You need to be born again by the Spirit of God. No one can do that. There's no tricks for that. God is involved. But I would encourage you, as the Bible says, call out to Him. Let the love of God rush into your heart. There's a story of a family who knew God and their daughter was dating a man. A very sad story. Him and, the, him and the daughter got into a massive argument and he ended up committing murder. He killed her. Tragic, broken story, similar to the story we read in the beginning about Cain who killed his own brother. And he was arrested and went to prison. It's a true story. I can give you the, give you the article if you'd like, like to read it out. But this story was brutal and the parents knew the love of God and they decided to forgive him completely. They pursued it. They went to the, the courts while he was under trial. They, they pleaded for mercy. They, they expressed forgiveness to him. And when they asked, what are you doing? They, they, they explained, this is not, the, the, this, the, the scripture shows us in Jesus that forgiveness is not conditional. It's unconditional. Love is unconditional. They forgave him. They pleaded. He, instead of getting a life sentence, he got 20 years. And in prison, he found the love of God himself. The love of God 
uh, he searched for God and he couldn't understand what these parents had done. They'd lost their daughter. And he found God's love. The love of God was shed abroad in their hearts as they forgave. And that's a that is such a powerful story of the love of God being shed abroad. I'm sure in our own hearts, maybe you've been through something like that yourself. But whatever you've been through, there's nothing that the love of God shed abroad in your heart cannot uh, overcome, cannot make whole, cannot heal. The great love of God. I want us to come to communion this morning and maybe this can be our task this morning as we come to the communion table. The Catholics use this term during communion, I love it. It says, by this we know and believe in God's love for us when they participate in communion. The church will say that together. By this we know and believe in God's great love for us. As we come to communion this morning, I wonder if we can come with that approach, that we're coming to remind ourselves that not only do we believe in this great love, but we know this great love. This morning, you can believe, but you can also know and experience the great love of God. This is what this meal is about. It's not just a ritual. It's actually participating afresh, reminding ourselves of God's great love displayed in the cross. We're going to do that this morning. If you do not know Jesus, I ask you just to watch as we partake in this meal together. Um, as this, watch us as a symbol of a people redeemed by the great grace and love of God. I wonder if we can, let's stand together, come down, maybe uh, participate together if you can, or by yourself. And we're going to spend some time just uh, taking communion and then we're going to pray and close this morning. Um, let's do that. Let's do that now. Come down, guys. <laughs>